are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutha Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guests on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week are Lourdes Montenegro, Lead Digital Sector Transformation at the World Benchmarking Alliance, and Hedy Ring, Sustainability Manager and Global Lead for Digital Inclusion at Telia Company. Thank you, Hedy, and thank you, Lude, for being here today. Welcome to the Elephant in the Room podcast. Thanks for having us as well, Suda. Thank you very much. It's a great opportunity to be here and have this conversation with you on this important topic of digital inclusion. Thank you. Brilliant. So let's get started. Lourdes, can you tell us what the digital inclusion benchmark is and why are we talking about a digital inclusion benchmark? Why has the WBA thought it important enough to spend so much time and resource on researching and putting together all of this data? That's a great way to start our conversation, Suda. (laughs) As you know, the WBA is a global initiative that's really devoted towards incentivizing and building an accountability mechanism for the corporate sector to, to really do more on sustainable development goals. And when we were established, we did a global consultation, thousands of people worldwide in many different countries. And what came out was that If we are to achieve sustainable development, we really need to approach it from a systemic perspective. You know, think about system change. And what are the systems that we need to change to really achieve sustainable development? And the digital system was one of those identified in these global consultations to be really important. Digital technologies are maybe we can call them as accelerants. That's how many people consider digital technologies. They are accelerants. They are cross-cutting enablers of sustainable development. So it's not just one SDG that they could facilitate or hinder, but it's the range, all the SDGs. And that's how crucial, that's how central the role of the digital system is. But as we know, with the pandemic, it just exploded. And now we see a COVID bump. Did you know there was a COVID bump in the number of people who are now reported to be online? So not just a baby bump, but a COVID bump on internet users. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, with the speed of digitalization, is it inclusive? Is it trustworthy? So we need to not only accelerate, digital transformation, but what kind of digital transformation are we accelerating? Is it one that leaves no one behind, that makes sure that people in all walks of life benefit from technology and also feel safe and secure enough and that the technology itself and the institutions that deploy and profit from technology are trustworthy enough? 
So yeah. we need digitalization that is inclusive and trustworthy. So that's why we spend a lot of our time at WBA. Actually, we poured a lot of attention into what we call, we, we label it as digital inclusion. But what it really means is in a broad way, inclusive and trustworthy digitalization. And the benchmark itself looks at many different aspects of that from universal access to digital technologies, to facilitating all levels of digital skills, to fostering trustworthy use, but also making sure that companies are conscious enough to innovate in a way that is ethical, that is inclusive, and that is open. And that allows the broadest membership in society to benefit from technological innovation. So in short, the benchmark is free. It's publicly available. It assesses by 2023, 200 of the world's most influential technology companies. And we've already started with 100 and 150. Wow, that's amazing. Hedy, do you have uh, anything to add to this? I think, Lords, you explained it very, very well. From the company perspective, I think that the digital inclusion benchmark also serves to inspire and to encourage companies to put more efforts into yeah. making sure that no one is left behind. And it also enables companies to learn from each other's best practices so we can improve our own approach and, and work in this area. That's so well encapsulated, uh, Hedy. What is the link between digital inclusion and sustainable development? And just to remind you that not everybody thinks of all these things in silos as different pieces. And few people, maybe in research and those involved in the SDGs, understand that all these are interlinked. But would you be able to explain the linkage between digital inclusion and sustainable development and how critical the role of the private sector is in achieving the SDGs. Harry, do you want to go first? I can start and Lourdes, maybe you can elaborate on that. Digitalization is currently transforming societies. So it brings really both new opportunities and new risks. And those who are digitally included can make the most out of these new opportunities, while those who are not at risk being left behind, for example, when public services are digitalized and education and, and many social arenas are moving online. So ensuring that everyone has access to reliable connectivity and the right digital skills are really a key to make sure that no one is left behind. And when we look at the research, for example, the GSMA's Mobile Economy 2021 report, it really shows very clearly that connectivity and digitalization can accelerate progress in relation to all the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. So there is a very clear link between these two topics that we yeah. are, are discussing. And of course, what we feel is that the private sector has a very important role in driving the societies towards progress with the SDGs. But, but Lords, if you want to add yeah. to that. I think Hedy really encapsulated it very well. And perhaps what I can do is give a few concrete examples so that you know it concretizes in the mind of our listeners what's the link between digital inclusion and SDGs. If we think of a specific SDG, for example, let's say no poverty or gender equality, or if we think about health and well-being, 
then we can think of very specific examples where digital technologies actually facilitate that. So in in, in the COVID pandemic itself, we've been using digital technologies. We've said that during the pandemic, it actually brought to fore and made digital inclusion more personal for us because now we're so dependent on connectivity, on digital technologies, just to function in our everyday lives from our work, what we're doing now, we're talking to each other, children getting educated online to facilitate, to to help prevent the spread of the virus in society, people talking to their doctors via video call and doing all these consultations. So we can really see concretely that these things can facilitate sustainable development goals. But of course, there are risks and harms. And that's where we need to also be careful. We need to make sure we protect children online. We need to make sure that we respect data privacy and make sure that data is secure and and people feel secure and trust the technology. Otherwise, they won't be using it at all. Absolutely. So this is the second uh, iteration of the report loads. Is there a marked difference from the last year? And what are the key trends that you're seeing? There is definitely a, a marked difference. So as a caveat, we've actually tightened and strengthened the requirements in the scoring guidelines from 2020 to 2021. So there's a bit of a challenge in terms of comparability. And the reason we did that is because there's a lot of risk around, you know, impact washing, and we don't want that to happen. So we want the companies who are at the top to be really at the top, and they're really doing something very substantial. However, we did do a backwards comparison using the old methodology. And what we found is that of the first 100 companies who were assessed in 2020, 43% improve their scores overall. So Mm -hmm. using the old methodology, we do see an improvement overall in companies. And I, I think the important trend to note here is that there's a change in the narrative. There's a change in the discourse. So before... A lot of the telcos, for example, would be talking about digital inclusion. They consider it material to their business, but not a lot in the software, platforms, e-commerce, not a lot in the hardware. But it's spreading now and they're realizing that actually this is important to all of us and that we can frame our corporate responsibility in terms of inclusive and trustworthy digital transformation, because that's closer to your core business. So that's what we noticed. There's really a change in the direction of the narrative. At the same time, there are some really bright spots, I would say, and you will be surprised about the bright spots. So if you think about gender, in technology. So we say it's really important that you disclose how many women are in your technical workforce and whether they are involved in your research and development because you need diverse voices when you're creating technology. And we're seeing an increase in that disclosure and in that kind of commitment and focus from East Asia. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and that's really a bright spot because usually it's the U.S. companies who are leaders in this, and that's because they are legally required to do so. They have laws that uh, require this, but East Asians are waking up and companies are waking up. So that's really very exciting. 
Yeah, truly exciting. So telecom companies, Telefonica, Orange, Telstra, at the top of the ranking again this year. From what I have seen, there seems to be a clear demarcation between telecoms and other tech sectors. What can we attribute the difference in performance to? Who'd like to go? I can start. There is definitely two reasons. First of all, what I can see from the telecommunications sector perspective. Number one, the telco sector has a clear impact on digital inclusion. And we know through our recent materiality assessment that we carried out in Telia Company, that the sector also has very strong expectations to contribute to digital inclusion from our stakeholders, from investors, from policymakers, from customers. So the expectations are there. From the other uh, perspective, there is also a very clear link to business. For telcos, digital inclusion is about serving our customers in the best possible way. And we know that it supports equal opportunity and human rights of individuals, which is key to making sure that no one is left behind. We also see that digital skills have become a must-have asset. So by integrating the inclusion perspectives in everything we do, we can actually broaden the customer base and better meet the customer's needs in this rapidly changing world, while at the same time inspiring our stakeholders. And one of the additional perspectives from the business angle is that The digital inclusion initiatives also, what we have seen, bring the potential of deeper collaboration with the business customers and the municipalities, as well as trust from a broad range of stakeholders. So I think, at least from the telco perspective, what we have experienced, and likely also other telcos, is that that we do have these expectations from our stakeholders, and we can really see the benefits for the business in engaging in this. In addition, of course, that this is something that we need to do to really drive the progress towards the SDGs that we have. Putting it really very well, Hedy. I mean, there are different imperatives driving people and corporates across the world. And like Lude was talking about some of the imperatives, there is a regulatory requirement. Some of it is about peer group and recognition. And as you mentioned, clearly, stakeholder expectations are changing and you are meeting the needs of stakeholders and at the same time living up to your commitment on the SDGs. That's incredible. Lude, do you have something to add on this? Yeah, I think I had it touched on the key points, but I just would like to add uh, a bit more and maybe ask if Hedy shares in this suspicions as well or views, you know. So what we're seeing is that the telcos and even like the hardware companies who have direct customer experience, I think the difference is that they are actually in touch (laughs) with the customer. They have a presence, they have facilities, they are in the localities where they are, and they are faced by the needs of their stakeholders, of their communities, of their customers. If you are a platform, a large global platform, you face a disembodied audience and you are further away from the ground, from the realities of the ground. So there's a lot more challenge for you to understand what the needs are. But you can, you have the resources to, of course, overcome those challenges of understanding the needs on the ground. The other we're seeing is a bit of an age factor. So the the telcos are definitely some of the more mature companies in the benchmark. They've been around for a while. You know, they understand the world a bit better. And the IT and software service companies tend to be really young. And some of them are pre-IPO. 
So yeah. they haven't really gotten their act together yet. But some of them have. That's the good thing. They realize, oh, we're going to IPO this year. So we also need to get our act together. And how do we frame our corporate responsibility towards the world? So there's also these differences. And that's so interesting. Considering the noise around companies claiming to be working towards bridging the digital divide, it is surprising that findings in the report indicate that most companies are lagging behind on demonstrating strong commitment to digital inclusion. So it is all talk and no walk, actually. Uh, Why do you think that is? Maybe I can start with an overview. So I think what we're seeing is that there are actually very few companies with a more comprehensive approach towards digital inclusion. I think that's the key, that the comprehensiveness of your understanding and embrace of that responsibility. So those who do have a truly comprehensive approach across all these four areas from access, skills, use to innovation, they tend to do really well and they, what we would call pass. So then we have 27 of those companies globally out of the 150, of course, of which Telia is in the 11th place. So that means that they've gotten very far in terms of comprehensively understanding all these issues and embracing it as a part of their responsibility to society as a whole. So I I think it starts from that. There's a learning curve. The industry is pretty young compared to other industries. So I always say, if you think of the car industry, the technology industry is where it was when we were debating (laughs) seatbelts or (laughs) whether people should die in car crashes and whose responsibility it is. So we are in the formation stages of what is good, what the industry should do well. But I think we're getting there. And I think that's the key point on where we are. And that's why we see these pretty low numbers. But that is going to improve. That's going to change. You're positive about that. That's good to know. Hedy, your thoughts? I agree with with what Lord say. I think this is a relatively new area. And clear requirements, expectations, and frameworks in the area of digital inclusion are not yet as established as, for example, in the area of climate and circularity when we compare. But I think also that the work that the World Benchmarking Alliance is doing, for example, with the Digital Inclusion Benchmark is really one great example of driving the awareness of digital inclusion and the potential for companies to work towards. So this really definitely contributes a lot to the ongoing progress. And hopefully within a few years, we can see much more progress overall, and then companies really stepping up and, and and taking the commitment. Yeah, I think Lourdes has mentioned age. I think maturity definitely as the industry matures. And there are more organizations like the WBA that are trying to showcase what good practice looks like. That should help push the companies in the right direction. Hedy, this is a question for you. How has Telia been able to achieve a strong internal commitment to digital inclusion? And what is your approach? Because here we can see it's systemic and it is embedded within the organization and it is not an ad hoc approach. It is more joined up and institutional. How have you been able to achieve this, get to that stage? Thank you for that question. Coming back to what I mentioned earlier, the materiality assessment that we carry out on a regular basis, we really found out that this is one of the top material issues 
for our stakeholders. And in our sustainability agenda, which is also fully integrated uh, into the business strategy, we focus on three prioritized sustainability impact areas. One is climate and circularity. Number two is digital inclusion. And number three is privacy and security. So this is really kind of decided and overall among one of the top three sustainability priorities. And in addition, we have other sustainability impact areas that we work with in a systematic way, such as children's rights, diversity and inclusion, and, and so on. So focusing on digital inclusion will enable Telia to deliver on our purpose, which is to reinvent better connected living. So it's very clearly linked to our company purpose, and we do have a very clear commitment and also tone from the top to support our digital uh, inclusion agenda, which I think is super important in order to really make the difference and get the progress across the organization. I should also mention that there is a geographical difference because we operate in the Nordics and Baltics, which are essentially highly digitalized countries with already extensive access to connectivity and technology and intense demands for good network quality. So in our markets, digital inclusion is maybe less about access to essential digital services and devices and more about the quality of connectivity and securing the proper digital skills for the vulnerable groups in the society that otherwise risk uh, being left behind. So in our digital inclusion strategy, we really focus on providing reliable access to connectivity and building digital skills. And when we talk about access, of course, it is about investing in the 5G and 4G networks and really making sure that the network experience is very high in between the urban and rural areas, for example. But it's also about accessibility for people with disabilities. So it's about training the employees in accessibility topics. We have also established an accessibility center of expertise. And one example really is Telia's gaming center service that can be provided with customized tools for people with disabilities. So that, for example, day centers for youth with disabilities can really get started with access to gaming and, and esports services. But then secondly, when focusing on building digital skills, we aim to reach 1 million people by 2025 through our various digital inclusion initiatives and products. And in that, we actually take a bottom-up approach to make sure that we really reflect the digital inclusion nature in each market. So we carried out an analysis to understand what are the needs in each market? What are the, the most vulnerable groups where we need to focus on our efforts? And this really forms the basis for our local digital inclusion strategies. And then we mainly focus our digital skills programs towards seniors, towards children and children's online safety skills, and small businesses, and increasing their digital skills to make sure that through digitalization, they can also benefit the broader society. In addition to that, we work with initiatives focusing on minorities and also encouraging women to pursue careers in tech. And also, of course, in addition to kind of the numeric targets, we're also working with experts to measure the impact of the initiatives, because that is also a super important part yeah. of the work. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And a lot of effort that has gone into building this strategy and uh, making sure that you're covering different parts. And this is not just focus on one area and leaving the rest aside. And evaluation, we all know how important evaluation is to anything, to ensuring that you are doing right, you're doing good. And if you're not doing as well, you still have an opportunity to correct and move forward doing better. Moving on, Lude, this is for you. What is the reason for the huge discrepancy in how companies disclose environmental data versus social and governance data? I think Hedy would also have some really good insights into that. So I would throw that question to her also after. But as she already said previously, that the climate disclosure requirements are a lot more. And what we found is the companies in the benchmark are always so excited to tell us about their climate commitments and their emissions and what they are trying to do towards climate change. But In a way, that is great because the digital technology sector definitely contributes to climate change and should be part of the solution. So we do agree with that. But at the same time, there are issues that affect society of which the digital sector is uniquely capable of helping out on or uniquely responsible for. So we should not forget that. So when we talk about the environmental sustainability of the company, that should not detract from the responsibilities that are closest to your core business. So it's just perhaps easier to talk about environmental sustainability and you've done really well and you've optimized the renewable energy for your data centers, etc., It's easier perhaps to talk about that than of the contentious issues of the day related to things that affect our society. Uh, Hedy? I can add to that. I definitely agree with your arguments, Lourdes. I think uh, for collecting and reporting environmental data, really the methods, the systems, the requirements are much more established compared to those in the social area. Also, there might be differences in the legislative requirements, one of the examples you brought earlier as well. So really more needs to be done to create those universal standards in this area. And also, of course, like I mentioned, there are quite big geographical differences in terms of how the digital exclusion plays out. In some countries, you simply lack access to connectivity or big groups within society lack access to a mobile device. But in other markets, that is standard. But there are other types of exclusion. So lack of digital skills, for example, make certain groups excluded from healthcare, from the job market, and so on. So it is a bit more difficult to maybe also disclose the information in a more kind of comparable way, since the challenges could be different. This is very interesting. According to the report, most technology for good initiatives fail to create a lasting impact because companies are probably tactical in their approach. What would an ideal technology for good initiative look like? Who would like to go on this? Maybe I can start and Hedy can add. The one thing that we noticed is a differentiator between those who really take a strategic approach to their technology for good initiative is there are companies who really put an effort into understanding the impact 
of their efforts. I think it starts from that. So when you put an effort into understanding the impact of your efforts, then those efforts can be better. You can always improve them over time, not only reach more beneficiaries, but make sure the lives of the beneficiaries are actually really improved. And that's still really a growth area that we're seeing here. Yeah. But I think Hedy would have more juicy. Yeah, I'm very interested to hear Hedy's thoughts on this. I do agree, actually, that measurable impact is one of the super important aspects. I think it's also important that the work or the initiatives are integrated in business. They are long term, they are systematic, and that the impact really is systematically measured and also the technology for good initiatives are really improved based on these impact assessments. I can bring one example from our own work that I think is really a good example. It is our digital skills program for seniors called More Digital. It really is a close collaboration with our public customers, the municipalities in Sweden and Norway. So the program has so far helped more than 10,000 senior citizens in over 30 municipalities in Sweden and Norway to improve their digital skills and their confidence. And in these sessions, actually, young people teach the seniors these new digital skills. So it also enables meetings across generations. And we have carried out uh, impact assessment that finds that 70% of the participants say that they have started using digital solutions more than compared to before. But it really is also not only a long-term program, but it also is a great collaboration with the municipalities because the municipalities really have an issue or a problem that their seniors who live in their municipality, they don't have enough digital skills to take part or join in the digital arena. But then at the same time for us, in addition, it is also about serving our senior customers in a better way. So there are kind of multiple angles that complement each other and benefit ultimately, of course, by reducing the exclusion of the seniors living in these areas. Yeah, I think such a project can be a win-win for everyone involved and everyone benefits, which is brilliant. Maybe I can also add something that just triggered my thinking on this while we were talking. There's also really a difference between using technology for good and this approach called techno-solutionism. Because you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. So we also have to be very careful about that. And we see a lot of that in the sector. There's really a techno-solutionist approach where you just want to hammer all the nails and all the problems (laughs) are nails. And as we've also seen, an important consideration really here is from the top. That's really the key word in everything. When from the top, there's really decision that this is important, it's part of our corporate purpose, you really see the difference. And that's when companies start leading. And that's what we're seeing, for example, from Thalia. One more comment, actually. I just kind of triggered when you talked about the hammers and the nails. It's also about identifying the need because it is very easy to kind of just find the easiest way or the most visible program or solution, but really understanding what are the groups that are digitally included and where is the need. And it might be different for different companies in different markets, but really 
making sure that it is not a program just for kind of getting the tick in the box, but really making the impact where it is needed as well. Yeah, great points. I think there is much to be said for not having a tokenistic approach because that's most likely to fail. Moving on, Lourdes, I was reading the report and it is staggering to know that just 15 of the 150 companies assessed have basic processes in place to identify, assess and integrate human rights risks and impacts in their business practices. Who is getting it right and what does best practice look like? And of course, Hedy will have a lot to say on this. So when we say that there are only 15, what that actually means is that there are only 15 companies who we found fully discloses on the basic processes to identify, to assess, and to integrate human rights into their operations. And that's what we call the very bare-bone basics of human rights due diligence. If we want to go into the deepest details of that, then I would refer you to the Corporate Human Rights Benchmark, which is also under the umbrella of the World Benchmarking Alliance that really deep dives into how to operationalize human rights due diligence. But what we only looked at as part of what we call the core social indicators, which gets integrated into the Digital Inclusion Benchmark, is that very basic thing which is disclosing fully on the basic processes in place. And that's what we mean by those 15 companies. Doesn't mean that these 15 companies do not have any human rights allegations. It just means that they have disclosed the processes in place to mitigate these kinds of events and these kinds of harms and risks. So you're right. It's really surprising and it's really staggering The ones who are actually leading, and you'll be surprised, it's, again, there's a lot from the hardware and the telco sector. Very few from IT and software services. I think there are only two, one e-commerce and one big software company. The rest are either telco or hardware. The hardware companies have a long history with human rights due diligence because they have a full supply chain. So they're familiar with all the supply chain issues, et cetera. And so they have done this a bit earlier than everyone else. But the others, we hope, are catching up, especially the IT and software service sector, where the human rights risks are a different kind of beast. From, say, if you were a semiconductor company, it's a completely different kind of beast. And you really need efforts towards that as well. And there are a lot of companies, majority are actually from Asia, who are leading this. Yes. Very Uh, interesting. Yeah. Japan, because these are mostly the hardware ones and very few from the U.S. That's that's so interesting. Yeah. And so important to spotlight that. Hedy. Yes. Very interesting to hear what you shared, Lourdes. I think. Human rights is a broad and very important topic, and it is still a journey for most companies, including Telia. But I feel we have made good progress and we have a very clear human rights due diligence strategy in place. Just one practical example is how we have worked with our business managers and our sourcing managers to assess the impacts on children's safety and children's rights in the development of products directly targeting them. So, for example, the smartwatches for children. But generally, I feel that when we further digital inclusion, we also have the opportunity to enable the realization of a broad set of human rights. And 
the other way around. If the digital divide is deepening, our technologies can increase the existing inequality. So very clear link between the work that is being done to further the human rights within the, the companies as well. Yeah, so this is an area that we all need to keep a watch on and see what's happening and how progress is taking place. I'm surprised to see that Indian telecom and technology companies fared really badly, especially considering how innovative they have been in making mobile telephony accessible to the poorest and most marginalized. And also the pricing, it is very, very competitive. I know that when I go to India, I have an Indian phone and I've never given up this thing for the Indian phone because it is cheap enough for me to keep it going. And the amount of data that I get on that phone, I mean, data is a given. It's given freely by everyone. So it makes it accessible. But still, from the report, we can see that they've not actually progressed and there's not much work that's being done intentionally, perhaps towards this. Would you have any thoughts on this and why that is? So there have been, we've seen improvements from the companies in the Indian subcontinent. There are a number of them in the benchmark. We have Infosys, we have Tata, we have Bharti, Airtel. The companies who are doing well are actually more the new economy ones. So like Infosys, this is like yeah. um, Tata, for example, and the others are still catching up. And we do recognize that there's really good competitive pricing in the Indian market. There's a regulatory environment that allows yeah. these kinds of competitive pricing. And that's really good. And it brought inclusion to uh, a lot of people. But as we've said, it goes beyond access. So Absolutely. digital inclusion is beyond access. So that's the important thing to remember that it goes into skills and into trust and into open innovation. And I cannot promise this, but... If we watch out in the next iteration, I think the Indian companies will do better. There are really new things in the regulatory landscape in India that's yeah. happening right now. I think there's a sustainability reporting framework being yeah. debated right now. So that will improve visibility from the Indian companies. And hopefully that also improves their performance and the way they think about these issues. That's great to have that perspective. Um we were at the last question, where has time flown? So the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of digital technologies for work, play, to stay connected, but it has also deepened the digital divide. And we've seen that again in countries across the world, even in the UK, we've seen that, that poorer household, marginalized communities are not able to access, for example, online education because they may not have laptops or they may not have good speed connectivity. What can companies do to help bridge that divide quickly? And are there any examples from last year? Hedy, would you like to give it a go first and then Lourdes can jump in? Thank you. That is a super good question and very important. We have seen that in our markets as well, of course. And I personally don't think that there are any quick fixes, but rather through continuous collaboration and efforts from companies, from NGOs, from policymakers, and we can make lasting impact. But in the beginning of our discussion, I think it was mentioned as well that the digitalization can have an enabling impact and we can find ways or initiatives and technological solutions that can have a bigger impact. Maybe just 
Two small examples is working with small businesses, which are key to local economies and livelihoods, but they also risk lagging behind and losing their competitive edge when digitalization speeds up. And they have also been very much impacted by the COVID-19 and the restrictions, for example, in various countries. So one example really from our perspective is one initiative from Telia that provides local small businesses free of charge trainings on how to use cloud services, remote meetings, move to e-invoicing and other ways of integrating digital solutions in everyday work so that when small businesses become more successful through digitalization, the whole society Benefits. benefits. Another example also is a startup refugee mentoring program. In partnership with the Startup Refugees Network in Finland, we have created a mentoring program to help refugees and asylum seekers and immigrants to gain employment in the IT industry. Again, something that really benefits, of course, the immigrants, but also the broader society as a whole and maybe increases the speed of bridging that divide. But again, I think the collaboration between various kind of players within the society and the joint efforts are something that can make that lasting impact. Very interesting examples. Lourdes, your thoughts? So I do agree with Hedy to some extent that there are no quick fixes really to some of the issues. And as for our stakeholders, we had a roundtable among African stakeholders last year. And two of the themes that kept coming up in that conversation is one, there are some really very basic problems like electricity. <laughs> so <Yeah>. so <laughs> before we even talk about high tech, like, okay, let's solve first the issue that actually not everyone has electricity. Yeah. And then second, there are still legal and regulatory challenges in many countries that restrict the market so much that it mm-hmm. actually prevents inclusion. So that still requires a lot of fixing and that's not a quick fix so that's one of the big barriers but having said that when we did a a quick survey of the companies and what they were doing on the pandemic we saw for example an example in the u.s market there were some companies who actually had forgone the data caps and that was quite radical during the pandemic so there's a quick fix that's one There was one company in Asia, in the Asia Pacific, where they had a program where people could donate their excess data as well to those who did not have enough. So that was quite novel as a solution, stopgap measure during the pandemic. So as I said, fundamentally, there are core issues that need to be addressed from electricity to the legal and regulatory barriers that make the markets too restrictive you know, all these franchising and rules that really encourage the restriction. But also there could be solutions if they put their minds and hearts to it, as we've seen in the pandemic. Some amazing insights from Lourdes and Hedy, both of you. Before we end, I just want to ask, what are the two things you'd like to ask the private sector to do do better on digital inclusion? Any thoughts? I know I'm throwing this into the ring and you may not have prepared for this, but any thoughts on this? Hedy, would you like to go first? The two things we would like to ask the private sector to do, I think number one is really to understand the importance of digital inclusion for the society and for your business. And then 
Number two, understand how you as a company can contribute to driving digital inclusion, to making sure that no one is left behind, and then assuring that within your organization, you have the commitment from the top to do that. I think first, just embrace the responsibility for digital inclusion from the top. That's the very basic request. From the top, attention from the CEOs. This is really important. This is our future. Embrace this responsibility for digital inclusion, but understand that this is a broad issue, that it covers a lot of things and it goes beyond access. It also looks into how you deploy technologies in a trustworthy way, how you help improve all levels of skills, and how you undertake your innovation as a company. Is it ethical? Is it inclusive? Is it open? So I think that's just it. It really starts with recognition and embrace of the issues and the topics. And we can go from there. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for giving up your time to be on the podcast. This has been such an interesting conversation. We've had so much of insights and so much of wonderful ideas, examples, and things to think about actually for the future as we continue our conversations on digital inclusion. So thank you, Hedy, and thank you, Ludes, for being here today. Thank you, Suda. It was a really great conversation. And thank you as well, Hedy, for, for joining us. We really learned a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you, Suda, for inviting us and for really driving the discussion on such important uh, topics. And thank you, Lord, for your exciting and interesting insights. And of course, for the whole WBA, for driving the benchmark and inspiring all of us. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.